This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.omf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell, with you until 10 o'clock this morning. Thanks as always to Brian Redmond for the last two hours. And Ireland's easiest quiz climbs to €600. Euros. The heat is undoubtedly on and with that the summer weather is piling on as well. And Ireland piling on the pressure against New Zealand. Uh, looking fairly good going into half time. Uh, the latest I have is it's 10-5 at least. I'm not sure whether New Zealand converted a try scored by Bowden Barrett. But we're down to business here between now and 10 o'clock. And are you looking to track down new business opportunities? Well, there's a sector of Irish business that every year seeks tenders for approximately 17 billion, yes, 17 billion of goods and services in this country, but which many small and medium-sized enterprises think is outside their reach. We'll be talking to someone who can help your business target some of that 17 billion. We'll hear from the author of a handbook for managers aimed at equipping them with new skills, techniques and insights for the new post-COVID world of work. And one year on from our visit to Hawkeye Falconry in Kilkenny, we'll be meeting John Duggan to hear how the past 13 months have been for him and his wife and who is also his business partner and his team of Falcons, Hawks and Eagles. But first, the fate of the Irish economy in this uncertain world is a hot topic of conversation in business families and on the street. With prices rising and global pressures such as war, climate disruption and political upheaval, look at old Boris Johnson during the week, are we heading for a crash or are we in recession? How far is inflation going to inflate? All these questions are of huge importance to people running businesses and to families seeking to see a way forward to the end of this year and beyond. Well, every three months, Ireland's Central Bank releases an economic forecast where it provides commentary and guidance on where the Irish economy is going. We last talked about this forecast in April with Martin O'Brien, Head of Irish Economic Analysis at the Central Bank. Well, I caught up with him again before we came on air and I asked him about the key points in the bank's latest economic forecast for Ireland, which was released during the week. I think the most uh, significant change with respect to the, the outlook in April is the, uh, the impact on prices and inflation. Uh, what we're seeing this uh, in this outlook now is that, and as we've been experiencing the last couple of months, uh, energy prices in particular have you know, uh, remained high and been increasing. Um, and that basically uh, bumps up our, our, our perspective on, on the inflation outlook this year. Uh, we expect that there's still going to be a, a little bit more of an increase in the monthly inflation print for the next couple of months, but uh, you know, easing, out, easing thereafter in, in the latter parts of 2022. Uh, and so we've revised up our overall inflation number for 22 uh, to about 7.8% after having been about 6.5% the previous time I was talking with you. Yeah, now um, last uh, week on the show, I, we were talking about um, some energy companies announced price rises of you know 24% or 40% depending on on what piece of energy you were using how much of a component of the overall inflation figure is energy in that yeah energy has been the main driver so far 
um, of the, the, the headline increase in inflation. Uh, uh, you know, when we see increases of those of that scale, uh, and given the, the share of energy in people's regular consumption basket, uh, you know, it really has been the, the key driver. Uh, but what we have seen in the most recent data as well is that, you know, as we know, energy is an input to businesses in particular, you know, across all aspects of economic life. And so it is beginning to filter through to the prices that, uh, of other consumer goods and services as well. Uh, and so, you know, the likes of food in particular, which is also directly impacted by the situation in, in, in Ukraine with the, the implications for, for wheat, et cetera, and for other cereals. Um, uh, you know, and those sort of uh, uh, prices are beginning to filter through in food, uh, in other aspects of consumer services. So uh, while energy has up until now, and I think will continue to be the key driver of inflation this year, you know, we will see other things pick up and we have been seeing other things pick up and become more important uh, through 2022 and into 23. But that being said, just the sheer scale of the energy price increases that we've seen and when they sort of eventually abate um, as we expect them to do or as financial markets expect them to do um, you know, through 2023, um, you know, we should see the headline inflation number come back down uh, and I think we're expecting it to be a little bit over 4% for, the mm. up, for, for 2023 and I then eventually back to our uh, 2024. Yeah, and, and energy uh, prices, do you think the, the price will continue to increase right throughout the year? You, you mentioned tailing off a bit next year, but like second half of this year, what's energy going to do in your forecasts? Uh, so the, the forecasts around energy prices is, is particularly uncertain at the moment, uh, obviously given geopolitical situation, etc. Uh, uh, I mean, you know, technically speaking, you know, we, we, we were, got, were guided by the energy prices to what the financial markets expect in terms of futures prices. And, you know, if you look at those data at the moment, you know, the, the price for oil, for example, in the wholesale markets, the, the wholesale markets are expecting that price to go down. Uh, 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 you know, in the for the remainder of the year and into 2023, it's a slightly different situation for gas. I think they're still expecting it to, to to increase a little bit more, and that filters through then to the kind of you know prices, the retail prices that that you know consumers and businesses here in Ireland face, um, you know, in terms of their own uh, energy bills. Uh, but you know, broadly speaking, what we're expecting is that the, the pace of increase will will, will, will ease off uh, through 2022, and you know. It, there is a possibility that energy prices will remain high, but they certainly won't necessarily uh, it be increasing at the same pace as what we have seen so far in the last sort of uh, four to five months. Well, fingers crossed that comes true. Um, what is all this doing to demand and uh, consumer confidence? Because that's what businesses are worried about is uh, demand and confidence so important to people spending. Hundred percent, and like we have seen in terms of some of the survey evidence, you know, a little bit of dampening in, in consumer sentiment in the last couple of months. It had been quite strong uh, following the uh, sort of the, the relaxation of pandemic restrictions, and there was a lot of momentum coming into the economy at, uh, as we entered into 2022. Uh, and really, the higher inflation situation at the moment has, has tempered that, uh, uh, you know, to a significant degree, and the amount of uncertainty that is there in general. That's also tempering, obviously, you know, business investment as well, and. Uh, as well as consumer uh, as consumer sentiment. So, um, what we see is that uh, you know, real incomes uh, for for households are, are, are likely to decline this year. Uh, there's something in the region of three point three percent. Even though your know, wages will be growing and, and other things will be growing, the, the, the sheer scale of the of the inflation is is, is going to 
really hit purchasing power overall. And that's uh, sort of leading us to a slightly slower growth in consumer spending in our current outlook uh, than what we had, say, uh, previously, but still positive. Uh, and the, the momentum that was there is, is still quite substantial, but just tempered a little bit by by the fact that uh, that we have uh, you know the, the high inflation at the moment. But a combination of things then, when you look into 2023, sort of lead to... Uh, uh, you know, a more a more substantial base for consumer spending for next year when we see uh, wage growth continuing to pick up and when we see household income growth continuing to pick up uh, and then the inflation easing um, as, as we discussed before so you know that should uh, you know support uh, the amount of household spending that is there and for some households they were also able to to build up sufficient uh, substantial uh, savings buffers um, you know, through the, the the worst of the pandemic, um, and, and they can be drawing on them as well as they as, as some households are currently. Yeah, what about employment and uh, employment growth and all that sort of stuff? Because I know many businesses are finding it incredibly difficult to recruit staff. Uh, that would seem to be uh, different from your normal economic squeeze when you know employment unemployment grows. Yeah, that's quite a striking feature. This time, what we would call a supply side shock, basically, where um, you know there is this gap between uh, you know uh, the amount of labour that businesses are looking for and the amount of labour that's around uh, you know to, to fill that. And the vacancy rate uh, for Ireland is uh, you know at its highest rate that it's ever been on record. Um, and you know the numbers of people either you know that don't have a job or, or could potentially be you know, enticed into the labour force relative to the number of vacancies is, 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 relative, is really low. And that's beginning to appear in these, this higher and, and, and uh, wage growth more generally. And it's, uh, we expect that to increase uh, more, more broad-based. Uh, it's been driven in particular by uh, sectors which have key uh, shortages at the moment, you know, professional services, ICT, uh, and increasingly so in other, other sectors now where we're seeing you know, hospitality uh, and other things where we we're, we're, we we can't walk down the street anymore without seeing a help wanted sign mm. in a lot of these shops, uh, and that's uh, we we don't envisage a huge you know sort of um, um, uh, you know change in that for the for the over the over the immediate term. So we we still see that you know um, you know the wages will probably increase as that sort of gap between the supply of labour and the demand for labour uh, continues. Now you know there's you know pros and cons to that obviously you know, it, it'll be different in different sectors given your know, skill sets and given um, um, given the availability of labour and, and migration patterns and things like that but uh, it, it is a challenge for businesses surely uh, you know, coming out of the, of, the, of the pandemic how to balance uh, all the, the, the rising input costs uh, for energy and other factors and uh, what, what is likely to be you know, uh, rising labour costs as well. Yeah and supply chains just to give you another one to talk about have been something that have been disrupted since uh, COVID, whether it's from COVID, whether it's ships getting stuck in the Suez Canal, whether it's in fires in chip factories in Taiwan. What kind of impact is the whole supply chain disruption having or is that washed out of the economic system at this stage? You know, it's still there. It is still an overhang, uh, and it's and you know it, it gets reflected in both you know prices, but also in delays. As, uh, you know, so we have seen uh, in building and construction, for example, you know there's been a, a huge increase in, in prices of raw materials like steel, like uh, like timber. You know, the basics that we would need to be you know delivering on, in terms of some aspects of of of, of, uh, of infrastructure, etc. 
Um, so that has been a, a feature. We know last year, for example, there was also an issue in the automotive industry with, with cars and, 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 and challenges there. Uh, those are beginning to ease somewhat. There is some uh, indication right now that, that, that the supply chain situation is improving, uh, but certainly more gradually than what uh, was hoped for, what was gradually what was expected earlier uh, in the year. Um, and you know, our expectation is that they'll continue to unwind, uh, you know, gradually through the remainder of the year. Uh, but it is, it will take some time to adjust. And indeed, I, I suppose uh, the experience of the pandemic and the uh, and the issues that that that, uh, that that presented for supply chains more generally. Uh, I mean, it presents some you know uh, issues for businesses going forward as to how they organise their own supply chains, the value chains, uh, and there could be some adjustment going on, you know, around. Uh, you know, reshoring of activity or onshoring mm. of activity, etc. And I think that's been a feature uh, in Europe, and more likely will continue to be so, uh, given you know the, the situations that we've seen in supply chains the last uh, eighteen months or two years. Yeah, raging inflation, wars, economic uncertainty, and so on. That kind of mood music kind of brings me back to the 70s and 80s, and you'd be expecting the Irish economy to be in bits, but government revenue is surprisingly strong and tax revenue continuing to be strong. Yes, and 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 uh, some of that is related to very surprising or and positively surprising corporation tax receipts. Um, uh, but also also other aspects are, is is there as well. You know, income tax receipts have been strong. You know, that has been strong as well. That's related to uh, both the inflationary environment, but also that there's just a strong momentum in the economy coming into this year, as we discussed before. So you know, there is some you know good fundamentals there. But I guess we would call out that the, the that the biggest element of, of sort of the, the positivity in the, in the tax receipts is related to corporation tax, and we are uh, uh, you know, very reliant on those corporation tax receipts. Uh, and um, you know, at the moment, I think it is the case that about one in eight uh, of every euro in taxes collected in the country is basically uh, being collected from you know, uh, ten multinational companies. Wow. Uh, so you know, there's a very strong concentration risk there in terms of the the, the, the revenue base, and this has been acknowledged by government. Uh, in the recent economic statement as well, um, and our, our perspective will be: look, it's just important that you know these revenues are you know have increased quite substantially in the last couple of years, in particular. Um, you know, there there's some element of windfall related to them, uh, and you know. Uh, the, 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 the surprise element of them, um, uh, we, we can't necessarily rely on them for, for baking in uh, to fund permanent increases in, a, in government expenditure in the years ahead. So there should be caution, caution in that respect uh, in terms of how we, how we see the, the, the path for funding of, of, of permanent increases in government spending into the future. We can't rely on, this, uh, on these sort of excess um, corporation tax receipts that we're, that we're uh, benefiting from at the moment. Yeah, finally, um, you know, many reasons to uh, be wary, reasons to not be cheerful, but my impression, while people are undoubtedly uh, finding it difficult in their daily lives and, you know, just walk down the street or visit petrol pumps and you'll get good reason for that, but the Irish economy, amazingly resilient and, um, you know, growth still on the agenda. Yeah, very much so. And I think, you know, uh, the pandemic, uh, the, the recovery from the pandemic and the uh, was certainly uh, very beneficial overall. Obviously, as I said, you know, certain households, certain sectors more more severely affected. Um, uh, but, you know, if you look at the, the, 
the growth outlook, you know, and you know, in comparative terms, you know, Ireland is still expected to grow uh, slightly faster than, um, say, the rest of Europe. Um, there are still very positive fundamentals uh, in terms of uh, uh, the economy uh, in general. But you know, you know, on the on balance, when you you look at the the growth outlook uh, over the 22 to 23 and 24, a challenging transition over the next uh, sort of six to nine months. But thereafter. Um, you know, you know, uh, reasonably steady and and and, uh, and reasonable growth in twenty three and twenty four. Martin O'Brien, head of Irish economic analysis at the Central Bank of Ireland. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, John. The bottom line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie John Purcell with you on the bottom line until 10 o'clock now isn't that promo fantastic I uh, loved hearing Sinead Kyo there talking about chats with cats coming up on Monday night at uh, 7 o'clock if you want to get your comments analysis or whatever in uh, check out that programme great excitement over the next uh, week and a bit as we build up to the All-Ireland and come on Kilkenny come on Ireland 10-7 up against the 14-man New Zealand uh, in that uh, second test of that series so all to play for in New Zealand and uh, great to see an interesting article in the Irish Times yesterday featuring local uh, Carlo company Strive and uh, it featured a chat with Gillian Moody who's the general manager of Strive and she said in an age where there is so much uh, discussion about gender balance she said there's never been a better time for women to work in tech so that's very uh, good to hear. Now with the economic challenges all around most business owners and managers are keeping their eyes peeled for new business opportunities and there is amazingly a business sector which offers massive potential for attractive contracts but which many experts say isn't being properly targeted by small and medium enterprises. I'm talking about public service contracts and the e-tenders website. Well yesterday I spoke with Dennis Casey from Casey Business Consulting uh, who works with businesses to help them uh, maximise the opportunities and I asked him to talk to me a bit about the scale of the opportunity that's there and the size of the market for public service contracts? It's a surprisingly large uh, market segment uh, based on the Office of Government Procurement. Like they will say, it's roughly £17 a year spent by by public bodies in Ireland. Wow, Um, £17 up to £17 Yes, yeah, yeah. And and interestingly, out of that in 2019, 52% of those contracts were awarded to SMEs. So that's probably micro, small and medium businesses. Wow. And, and, and even in my own business, I, I, like I'm, 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 a, I'm a sole trader and I regularly tender for public sector contracts and I win them. Yeah. So it's for, it's for everybody. And, and what are the, um, the regulations or the parameters governing uh, the, the need for public service bodies to tender, put out public tenders? Presumably when, you know, when they're spending relatively small sums, of money, they don't have to put stuff out to tender. But what are the regulations? Yeah, the thresholds are relatively low, actually. Uh, and there's, there's two lots of regulations. The EU have their thresholds. Uh, so under EU uh, regulations, any contract wor- worth more than 140000 has to be advertised in what's called the, the official journal of the EU. Uh, but interestingly, under Irish regulations, any contract, uh, 25000 or above, has to be advertised on e-tenders. So that covers any tenders from not just public bodies like government departments, local authorities, the HSE. Um, it also covers private entities which have projects that are 
funded at least 50% by public bodies. So in other words, companies that get grants from the likes of Enterprise Ireland or, uh, or any government agency, or the local enterprise offices, for instance, those projects have to be advertised on each centre as well if they're valued above 25000 Wow. So, yeah, so it's a huge market. Yeah, so 16 to £17 billion in Ireland, but um, it must be multiples of that in the EU. So really, if businesses are smart and we're in challenging times and people want to be looking at where they can potentially source new business, it's a good to start. Absolutely, it is. It's totally, yeah, yeah. And I suppose that traditionally, um, micro and small businesses, and medium to some extent, tend to shy away from that sector because, first of all, they think they're too small probably to succeed, you know, to, 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 to bid successfully, which isn't valid. It's not true. Like, when you look at the size of these contracts, they, they start at 25000 and upwards. Um, like, for instance, I did a quick search there yesterday just in preparation for our chat today. And, for instance, Enterprise Ireland have a contract up there at the moment for content marketing for their, their new Frontiers programme. And it says, in terms of the eligibility criteria, you have to demonstrate that you have a minimum annual turnover of 60,000 a year over the last couple of years. So that's not a high bar. Mm. You know, that's, that's, that's available for you know, even micro-businesses to target that type of a contract. Yeah, and, and so the, the, it, it must be uh, relevant to all sorts of businesses because public sector organisations buy all sorts of things, presumably from paper clips to vehicles. Totally, totally, totally. Like, in, like another one that I found yesterday, just in a very quick search, was like um, Galway Rural Development Company are looking for a supplier of stationery and office supplies. You know, again, so uh, probably relatively small contract. So again, perfectly suited to micro, small, and medium. Certainly, micro, small, probably medium businesses mm. in Ireland as well. What would you so say to people feeling them um, kind of deterred by the bureaucracy or the perceived bureaucracy of the whole process? What would you say to yeah. them? Yeah, I, I would say it's, it's too big a market not to at least have a have a closer look at. And what I would generally say to people is, if I'm talking to them, would be. Uh, just just log into eTenders and put in put in the name of your product, whether that's stationary or whether you provide ICT services. Just put do a search and just see what kind of contracts are coming up, and just clean and get get familiar with type of 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 documentation that's required as part of your tender. Mm. But then go and get help. Like the there are some super programs out there. Uh, the local enterprise offices provide help probably under their mentor program. But more, more specifically and more targeted is uh, the Intertrade Ireland Go to Tender program, which mm. is absolutely excellent. Um, Before we well talk about that, that, you mentioned e-tenders. Um, I'm, yes. I'm vaguely aware of that. It's a website, but what's on it? Yeah, e-tenders is actually, it's, it's operated by the uh, Office of Government Procurement. So it's, it's, the, it's the Irish government's electronic platform uh, where all public tenders are advertised. Now, it's, it's more, the, it, very often the tender is advertised there, so you download all the tender documents there, but very often you submit your tender through the portal as well. So it's, a tend, it's the Irish government's tendering portal. And is this the portal through which the 16 or 17 billion is yes. Um, allocated? Yes, yes. Wow, yeah, that's absolutely. some uh, valuable website. Um, yeah, you mentioned website. about Intertrade Ireland and the whole process of making applications and submitting tenders. In broad terms, I know you provide one-to-one me- mentoring, but before we talk about that, in broad terms, what kind of information are people required to provide in tenders? 
Um, very often, I suppose you've, you've got to tick the basics. So you've got to you've got to uh, meet criteria in terms of having certain maybe a level of turnover. Uh, and as we saw there, and I had other examples, the threshold very often is very low there. Um, making sure that you're tax compliant, that you've got your insurance policies in place. And then you kind of get into the specifics. So have you got the relevant experience to deliver the product or service that, uh, that the contract requires? So often you'll need to give exa- examples of previous contracts of a similar size, uh, or outline your qualifications, or you know, prove basically that you've got the capabilities to deliver the contract. Pricing comes into it as well. So, you know, and the formally news to tender successfully in these things. And step one is to download the documents and have a good read through and, and identify what the eligibility criteria are and what the award criteria are. And they can be different things. So, the, the eligibility criteria can be things like that you're a size or that you've got certain qualifications. The award criteria can be uh, based on your. Um, on you having delivered similar size projects in the past. Price obviously comes into it, but they will tell you in the documentation what they're looking for, what the, what, what they, what the, the go-no-go criteria are, mm. and make sure that you can tick all those boxes, and what the awarding criteria is, in other words, what actually gets scored. If you meet the basic criteria, what actually gets scored then for everybody that's eligible for the contract, how are they going to score you? Mm. And and so many people listening who might be interested may think that, well, it's just something um, I, I couldn't do because I just don't have the skills. Uh, it's for a certain type of business. But you mentioned Intertrade Ireland. Um, they actually run a go-to-tender programme which is aimed at getting more people to provide tenders. So the people with all the business to give away are really interested in hearing from new businesses. Absolutely, absolutely. And even the government's strategy is to, is to make it easier for micro and small and medium businesses to be able to tender successfully for these opportunities. Um, so hence the support programs like the Inter Ireland program, uh, which there's two elements to it. One is there's, there's, when you register, you register for a workshop. That'll cost you 58 euros, which shouldn't break the bank for most companies. And in that workshop, you'll get the basics of, you'll be, you'll be taken through how the tender platform works and the basics of it, how to, how to search for tenders, um, how to upload tenders. But then at the end of that, anyone who's, who's completed the workshop is eligible to apply for this one-to-one support from an expert. Mm. It's a fantastic opportunity there. All you've got to do is uh, check out e-tenders and lots of support to uh, enable people to uh, target uh, that kind of business. It's uh, it's fantastic business opportunity. Dennis Casey uh, of Casey Business Consulting. I, I kind of paused a bit because I was taking a double take looking at the latest from uh, New Zealand where Ireland are leading... 17-7. Looking good. Ireland versus a 14-man New Zealand. Hopefully they'll hang on and even extend their try. Andrew, uh, their lead, Andrew Porter, having a great game. He scored two tries uh, for the boys in green. So come on, Ireland. After the break, we'll be talking uh, Eagles, Hawks and uh, Falcons. 
Casey Lauren, indeed, uh, it's just coming up to 25 minutes away from 10 o'clock. John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Now, interesting to see last night news breaking that Elon Musk is trying to walk away from his deal to buy Twitter for 40-something billion. And Twitter saying, oh, no, you don't. And a big legal action uh, going to follow there, I would predict. And I wonder whether that deal is finally put to bed. Many legal experts saying this is just a ploy of... uh, old Elon Musk trying to drive the price down. Interesting, and it's an interesting topic about businesses walking away from deals and so on, and it struck me that would be an interesting topic to cover on the show. Now, away from Twitter and the kind of gentle little kind of uh, little Tweety Bird that they use as their logo too. Hawks, Eagles and Falcons. Now one of the most interesting visits I made to a business last year was to Hawkeye Falconry who when I visited last May were preparing to open their business for the first time. That was May 2021 and it was a time if you remember that Ireland was slowly emerging from our longest and most stringent COVID lockdown. Many would say it was not the most promising time to open a business so I thought it would be good to pay another visit to see how they were getting on. So during the week in lovely sunshine and nice temperatures. I paid a visit to Hawkeye Falconry on the grounds of Lyrat Estate Hotel in Kilkenny. I sat down with John Duggan, who with his wife Caroline runs the business, and I asked him to cast his mind back uh, to when he was starting, and I asked him, looking back, was he nervous when he was starting, just as we were coming out of lockdown? I wasn't a one bit nervous, John, to be quite honest. Um, what we do here is 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 something that sells itself. We don't really need to advertise or anything like that. It's... Um, it, it's so private. The experiences are all private, so we're not just open to the public. It's 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 by appointment only, and I mean, like the kind of the birds and the falconers that work here kind of speak for themselves. And and when somebody comes and does an experience, they're always going to leave a review somewhere or another, and it just folds on from there, you know. And it's like I said, I I was never really nervous because I was confident with the business because we've been doing it years, and it was just that the falconry school was new and okay that might have you know been something new and something different but it was more exciting than nervous so yeah we we were just we were looking forward to it to be honest with you meeting people again and they say do what you love and falconry has been a passion of yours for quite a while oh sure as long as i can remember i was a 14 year old boy when i first trained a bird of prey and since then it's just you know it's been a way of life a way of life for me it's um it's always been part of my life but now in particular you know I eat, breathe, drink, sleep falconry and it's the birds that's the thing you know they they come out here every day and every day you bring one out you know your jaw will drop and they'll do something that you just go oh my god wow and in particular you can see the area here John like I mean you go to the very corner of that field and you, you won't be able to see one of my birds in that tree but I could have a guest standing right here pop their glove up and the bird will leave that tree travel the whole way across Across the field, a foot off the ground, and then come and land on their glove. And it's when I see their eyes and their joy, that's where I get. That's what keeps my passion going, you know. Yeah, I was lucky enough to experience it last year. It's absolutely phenomenal. You offer a range of different um, experiences and, and ways of interacting with the birds. Talk to us about that, and any particular favourites among your customers. Yeah, so um, the f- we offer four experiences. So we do a junior experience, which is from sevens up to twelves, um, because I suppose with birds of prey and it being so interactive, you've got to be really careful. Um, then we also do a hawk walk experience. We do an eagle experience, as we have an eagle here now as well. And we do a falconry experience. And uh, they're all different. 
Um, my favourite one of all of them would probably be the Hawk Walk, which would be the kind of probably the most popular, second most popular maybe. But it's 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 an experience where you get to take over flying one of my trained birds, and you go for a walk with them. So you really get to know the bird, whether it's a male or a female. And when I bring a guest down for a Hawk Walk down to the the area where the birds live, um, as I'm getting to know the guest and then I'm introducing them to the birds it's only then that I'm picking which bird they're going to use because you might get someone that will come in and they're a little bit nervous and if that happens well then I'm going through the birds and I feel the nerves I'm going to go with Egbert right he's a male and he's the most gentle bird you could ever come across if I've got three or four lads that are coming down after having a few shandies in the hotel the night before I'll use Ned because Ned's just crazy you know so we just match the bird to the guest and then they feel that and then they're at the end of the experience they're going to me oh my god he is so cool and they're going off talking about the bird and sometimes they go up to the bar and then I speak to the staff up at the hotel and they're like they're coming up talking about the birds like as if they were friends that they knew all their lives you know because everybody knows the different birds here so yeah and as a a customer I prefer I wouldn't have any favourites I I, I just love all because anybody that comes here is treated the very same you know so it's great you mentioned uh, a word a number of times there experience Uh, we hear a lot about experience in retail and so on it's really what people are looking after it's more than just a simple product it's the whole experience yeah that's that's definitely that's definitely something and the, the, the thing about it here John and like I suppose we are a little bit different and a little bit more unique here at the Hawkeye School of Falconry than most places and the reason for that is the Harris Hawks that we use here that we um, do our hawk walks with and do, that would have a part in every experience here the Harris Hawk would be kind of the top bird here every single one of them that are down there are all brothers and sisters and they're all hand reared by me and Caroline so they're like our little pack of baby dragons you know and so I know every one of them like the back of my hand so it's unlike other places we don't go out and buy in the Harris Hawks and at 60 days or 80 days old and then train them we've been rearing them from day one and we've been hand picking them and looking at them and going okay there's one guy there I really like so we'll keep him train him and then we might sell the other two you know so that's why it's, it's, it's a little bit more unique and that gives the guests that experience that you're talking about it's that feeling that I've hand picked the bird for them and I know the bird so well so they're feeling that as the experience is going on and that's what your experience is you know yeah, and you mentioned uh, Caroline there because this is a husband and wife business and, and you've extended that family business bit to the Harris Hawks. Uh, that's quite amazing. I know from talking to you earlier on that a key decision uh, with the success of the business over the last year has been your use of technology, specifically a booking system. Tell us about that. Yeah, it, it's something that we kind of always feared a little bit um, as time was going on, but we co- we kind of got talking with a German company called Region Do and they had a really good module um, for a booking system that would suit falconry because we, we thought no system would suit it because it's very we need to know ages if you know somebody can't just book in four people and turn up with a chunk of buggy you know we can't have that so there's lots of things that need to be asked before the booking is done but they had a system where all of this could be done you know before the booking would be allowed to be uh, booked in so we bit the bullet in February and we went with it and and my son Sean then between Sean and Caroline um, the two of them kind of got, got in touch with Region Dew and, and they started getting all this, this stuff from them and, and started uploading it onto our own website which my son had designed anyhow and um 
yeah it just it was it's definitely the best thing we've done this year so far last year the best thing we've done was building the place and that was tough going but the the, the booking system on the website was was a real eye opener because and like I was saying to you earlier um, we kind of looked around and, and there's no other real falconry outfits in the country using a booking system so we were kind of like why is that and you know should we shouldn't we and we bit the bullet in the end anyhow and I think we're kind of grabbing bookings from them before the international tourists come so they're kind of falconry is kind of one thing that's on the Americans mind when they come here and I think that they want it before they come and then they're afraid they mightn't get availability by the time they get here so they want to book it quick so when they look around and they go we'll be in Kilkenny but we'll be in Galway and we'll be in Dublin we can do it in the three places let's look for somewhere and then they look for somewhere they look at the websites they find my website they see a booking system they go oh date we're going is free book it then they know they have it in their hand before they leave America and that's been the secret I think and it's been fantastic so oh, falconry is a is a is an art, I suppose, or a sport that's lasted thousands of years. Uh, adopting to new technology is key, and and I notice uh, UNESCO have designated it as an intangible cultural heritage activity as well. So huge appreciation for the art. You're through your first year uh, now successfully into the second. What next for Hawkeye Falconry? So the last time we were talking, John, this was all brand new to us, this school here. And, and so far, so good. It's everything has been going well. So there, there's no aspect of it that we can say isn't going well. Bar, we need somebody to come and help us now. And we need to, to take on somebody because it's, it, it is a, it's tough going. There's only the two of us here. So that's kind of w- one of the next steps. The other next step is the last time we spoke, we had two mobile units on the road. And we were kind of still visiting other hotels around the southeast. Uh, we took one of them off the road because we just couldn't handle the, the, the amount of work we were doing here and um, the second one will probably come off the road this year and we'll focus more so just on the school here Great to talk to John Duggan of Hawkeye Falconry there in the grounds of Lyrat Estate Hotel and what enthusiasm he's gotten that's part of a longer conversation I had with John uh, who with his wife Caroline runs that business and uh, you can we'll put that out on our podcast channel now the world of work is, was already changing but COVID has accelerated the changes for employees customers and business managers everybody really so it's great to see a book for Irish managers produced which aims uh, to give managers new skills, insights and information to better cope with the challenging world of business and the book is called The Manager's Handbook for a New World of Work and I'm delighted to be joined on the line by its author Monica Murphy. Good morning Monica. Good morning John and thank you for having me and hello to all your listeners. Pleasure. How did you decide to write a book for Irish managers? Well that's a long story. I've been been wanting to write a book since I was about four. (laughs) (laughs) So at least uh, Um, 20 years. A long time, yeah. I'm 43 now, so that's a long time. But uh, yeah, so it, it is. It, it's uh, it's kind of a life's work for me. But my my um, business, I, I have a business in Capaquin here in County Waterford called Moneyer Development Services. And uh, I suppose my work over the last 11 years since I set that business up um, has, you know, we, we work really with large clients in construction and fintech and the hospitality sector, retail, and we do lots of training with their their staff members. So really where the book has come from is observing the trends and the patterns and the changing nature of management over the last 11 years. And as you said there in your introduction, I definitely believe that changes were coming anyway. Um, but COVID just, you know, sped the whole thing up. So the, the book was actually, I started writing the book just pre-COVID 
Um, and then, you know, myself actually having more time because I wasn't on the road as much um, mm. allowed me then to, to really get it, you know, to finish the book in the last two years. And I've got a copy of the book in my hand and I have to say, uh, top marks for practicality because it's like a manual. Um, it's got, it's ring bound. So it's not like a an ordinary yeah. book, so to speak. So that's well, very practical. So I think you uh, promote a practical approach. Thanks, John. Yeah, and, and I'm an avid reader myself. I, I get through, you know, two to three books a week. And one of the things that bothers me, I like to read while I'm uh, sitting down eating and it pops up in my face. The book always pops up in my face that I have to put like a sugar bowl or something yeah. on it to keep it down. So I wanted to go with a ring bound one that if people were, were interested enough to read this while they're eating, that it will stay flat. Also that they can write on it. It is called a handbook because another observation of my own is when I'm reading a lot of books on management and, and leadership, um, you know, I, I'd like to kind of reflect and write and scribble my own thoughts, but it's, there's not always a place to do that. So I wanted to make, you know, ha- have the book so that it's almost like a training manual in a way um, that you can just go along and and, and uh, take each chapter and, and reflect and write stuff down and hopefully put stuff into practice as you go. Yeah, well, look, uh, stay with us. We're going to go through some of the uh, top tips that you've got in the book. Uh, a really uh, good read. I've had a look through it. Uh, we're going to take a break first, though, and uh, stay with us. We're talking to Monica. Murphy about her book which is called The Manager's Handbook for a New World of Work. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you in association with O'Neill Foley Accountants. Our website onf.ie shows the full range of services we provide to businesses large and small. Carlo Kilkenny KCLR Casey Law indeed and Good News Ireland 27 ahead in New Zealand surely one of this will go down if they can hang on uh, it'll go down as one of the greatest victories in uh, Irish rugby uh, we're past uh, 65 minutes I think at this stage um, another by my maths that I've been making it about 15 minutes to go I'm joined on the line by Monica Murphy uh, who is uh, an author of a book called The Manager's Handbook for a New World of Work and I'm sure Monica you know the um, Irish team manager uh, and you often hear it in in sport I'm interested to see the first chapter uh, that you've got is about people managing themselves really so it's like a team has to manage itself before it takes on the all blacks but if you're managing a business uh, lead yourself first tell us about that. Yeah, and interestingly, the, the, that Ireland are winning this morning because one of the analogies I do have in the book is that when a team is doing well, um, you know, the manager is typically on the sidelines. They are not on the team. They cannot be on the pitch and on the sideline at the same time. So really, a, a manager has a difficult job of, you know, staying on the sideline and delegating, motivating, engaging the team. Um, but, but the first chapter is very much about managing yourself first and I suppose it translates loosely into leading by example um, you know and, and you know there's, there's a lot of roles a lot of tasks associated with being a manager such as doing performance appraisals and making sure that the work is, is done and the KPIs are met but I suppose you know the, the team are typically looking to manager and if the manager isn't leading by example then you know you, you're off to a bad start so it's just the first chapter is all about your own personal habits your work habits and how you can maybe align, you know, your own personal values with your work so that you are being an, an authentic version of yourself, whether you're at work or at home. Yeah, you know? and just uh, moving on, because unfortunately we're under a pressure of time. Mm-hmm. Um, just looking at another chapter, it's about the whole thing of staff, you know, hearing about staff shortages and all that sort of stuff. Your second chapter is called They Are Not Your People. Uh, managers yeah. often talk about people in the wrong ways. 
Well, well, I believe that. And, and over the last 11 years, as I've been, you know, going around delivering training, it's not uncommon to hear managers saying, I have 10 people under me, or I have 14 people reporting into me, or I have such and such a person. You don't have people. People don't belong to you, not unless you've taken slaves. You know, and we're seeing that more and more. And, and, and earlier in your show there, you know, the, the, I think it was Martin from the Central Bank was talking about the labour market and how squeezed it is. I think people have kind of woken up to how they want to live their lives and how much is enough in terms of what they need to earn. So managers and owners need to be really clever about how they set out their stall now to attract good people who are motivated to work and who don't feel like the boss owns them from nine to five, Monday to Friday. So to be honest with you, John, I think this is a fascinating and wonderful opportunity for all of us in Ireland and around the world, you know, to, to make sure that we make the most of this chance that we have now to redesign work, mm. to make it more um, more enjoyable and to make life, a, a, you know, a, a better experience for everybody. Yeah, now during the pandemic, one of the words we heard the whole time was uh, pivoting and changing and being flexible and flexible work and all that sort of stuff. But you're basically saying, you know, towards the end of your book, be consistently flexible with people. Like flexibility yeah. is a key key requirement. Yeah. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a contradiction. In the last chapters be consistently flexible, but it really t- comes down to the re- you know you can't manage people by one size fits all approach. It's just it's just outdated. It's not it's not real. Um, so you, you've kind of got to have you know a, a different tool, uh, different leadership management styles for different people on your team. So that's what it means really. And trying to look at how can we offer flexibility in work hours and in in the design of work so that people can deliver, you know, whether they're working for six o'clock in the morning or to two o'clock in the afternoon or whether they're working from two o'clock in the afternoon to two o'clock in the morning. So really being open to how are we thinking about work? Does it have to be nine to five, Monday to Friday? Or is there another way? Yeah. Now, um, finally, tell us how can people get their hands on, on your book? Lots of ways well, of doing that, uh, I suppose. And I would recommend it to, to people interested in a, in a relevantly you. Irish based read. Thank you. I want because there's so much coming from America and Europe, and you know we have wonderful people here in Ireland. And I wanted to write a book that reflects Irish culture and Irish society. Um, so it's available at the moment. It's available for my books, my, which might be a bit of a distance for people in Kilkenny. It's also available nice part of the country book. to visit, though. Yeah. But I only last week I was in Barker and Jones and Nace, and I believe it's under the same umbrella as the Kilkenny, um, the bookshop in Kilkenny, and the bookshop in Waterford. So um, I'm I'm going to be hunting them down next week to see if they want to buy copies. So if you're in Kilkenny, go into the Kilkenny bookshop today and ask them have they got a copy of it so that they'll buy it for me next week. Fantastic. And, and in Carlow as well, do put the pressure on on your local booksellers to see if they'll take yeah. in this uh, this it is, thing. It, it is available on on my website. If you can't wait until then, until I get it into those bookshops, it's in www.moneredevelopmentservices.com and you'll find it there under our shop. We'd be delighted to send out any copies to people. Fantastic. Thanks a million, Monica. Murphy, uh, author of The Manager's Handbook for a New World of Work for joining us this morning on the programme. That's all we've got time for, unfortunately, on the bottom line. My sainted aunt with 69 minutes gone, uh, it's Ireland 23 and New Zealand 7. That's pretty good news and uh, that'll put a pep in everybody's step and uh, this time next week and a bit beyond, hopefully we'll be uh, celebrating Kilkenny putting on an equally good show and putting putting it up to uh, Limerick. But that's all next
next week. That's all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line. Any comments, you can email us at thebottomline at kclaura96fm.com. You can listen back to this or any show or indeed extended interviews on our podcast. You can just tune into or search for The Bottom Line, Casey Laura. Thanks to all our guests this week, Martin O'Brien, Dennis Casey, John Duggan and Monica Murphy. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produces the show. Thanks to you for listening. We'll be back next Saturday just after the news at nine when the countdown to that All-Ireland showdown with Limerick will be entering the final 30 hours or so. If you haven't hung out your black and amber yet, don't delay. We need to fly the flag and show our support. Stay tuned to KCLR. We'll have lots to keep you entertained in the build-up to that big match. And don't forget Kilkenny uh, in a football... Uh, uh, I'm not too sure actually how they did last night, but they have been in the football. But uh, forgive me, tune in. We'll have more on that on our sports during the day. But even if you're not interested in sport, Carlo or Kilkenny Sport, we've got lots more to keep you entertained. News, information and local voices from all across Kilkenny and Carlow. But in the meantime, enjoy the weekend. Have yourselves a week. Until we speak again, stay cool, keep safe and keep the faith. KCLR's Bottom Line. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie